When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. In the industry, we call them cigarette burns. That's the cue for a changeover. He flips the projectors, movie keeps right on going, and nobody in the audience has any idea. Hello and welcome to Adjuster Tracking. I'm Eric McClanahan. I'm Joe Von Oppen. Let's just kick things off by reminding our listeners uh, um, the movie we championed on the last episode, uh, Green Room, Jeremy Saulnier, uh, the director, Jeremy Saulnier's follow-up to Blue Ruin, a film that we both also really, really love. Um, but his his follow-up, Green Room, is going wide. So it's it's been in limited release these uh, past couple weeks. And you and I, lucky enough to be in cities, um, L.A. and Portland, that, that got the movie early, but it is... I actually should have checked before we went on mic, but I think it's going wide. Like you'll see it in multiplexes. Like, I don't know how many screens a two four is uh, releasing it, but um, it, it should be available for, for most people in the country and just want to send the reminder out there that, you know, it is a great movie. One that I've seen three times now. Have you managed to see it a second time, Joe? Uh, I did see it a second time. Uh, and just the, the initial, sort of trauma I experienced and not being able to sleep afterwards. Like yeah. it does subside and soften a little bit. Like the shock still come. Yep. But like I was able to just appreciate just the sheer filmmaking the second time and just the mechanics of the movie, like just seeing how it builds and how like beautifully it plays out. Like that's, that's something that I was definitely excited to sort of appreciate the second time after, you know, my, heart rate went down but like it's it's so beautifully illustrated in the movie like it's 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 one that like i mean we belabor the point a lot about the movies we like that like you need to see it in the theater but like this one absolutely like just it screams to be seen in the theater quite literally yeah (laughs) and you know i've got friends who are apprehensive about seeing it because they they like you pointed out are concerned that it's like a a torture movie Hmm. and it's it's not it's got like all all of the sort of like big movie moments that like are phoned in in the movies that are just chronically disappointing in the theaters lately they're all there and they're all earned and they're just incredible it's just these like hero moments that you miss in the movies that like actually earn the moments yeah like it's all in green room another thing that comes to mind is like I've seen it now three times, as I said, but I'll also just peek in at my theater where I work, where we're showing the movie. And I just, because there's so many sequences in this film, there's action sequences and things like that. But there's also these moments that we, we did get into in our previous episode um, in our review um, where we just gushed about the movie, but I love just stepping in and trying to hear the audience reaction uh, to, to these moments. There, there are these violent moments, but also just these moments where, 
yeah, you're like a surprise happens, something that you truly weren't expecting. And it's one of those movies that's just full of those. But also the more you watch it, it actually is even better than most. There are a lot of movies that are great on a one-time watch. Like a lot of movies like green room actually, that are like these visceral either exploitation or horror action movies, which it, it kind of qualifies as all those things. They're, they're good for a one time and you, you do get your heart rate up as you had talked about, but that's kind of it. Green room actually is great to watch again and again because you do yeah. pick up on yeah there's all these subtle things that you can pick up on there's like character stuff oh it's so good yeah because everything is like invested in the, the like the characters and how how they're responding to the situation they're stuck in like i i remember pointing out uh aliens as an example which you I, you didn't make much noise at so i was afraid that you were retreating from the comparison no but it's a like, good one <laughs> it's a similar movie where people are trapped and there's this like seeming unstopping unstoppable force that's closing in on them and i got to see aliens uh on alien day the alamo draft house like showed it at the ace and like i've seen that in the theater now a couple times and that's one where like all the characters are just like so like established with such like subtlety and economy and they're all just like really clearly you know they're all just like clearly developed in a short span of time and all those moments all those sort of like hero moments and character moments in aliens got like this huge wave of response that almost gave me like chills Ah. when like every every bill paxton line got an applause break of course yeah when ripley says get away from her you bitch the whole audience like they exploded like it was it gave me like chills it was crazy and like i feel like green room hits those highs hits those points that like i mean we're just tired of seeing the same kind of cacophonous onslaught overload movie with like the comic book movies with the apocalypse movies that like you see the mo- you see where the moments are supposed to be where someone turns slowly towards the camera and is staring off into the middle distance and says something like my god and you're just like i don't feel anything for this person <laughs> whereas like in green room when someone says careful now or anything like just any like any line that like elicits a, like a, a traditional classic movie going experience it's fucking it's it's great it's like coming home you know yeah yeah man Absolutely. Agreed. So, you know, we'll, we'll leave it there. We love this movie. You know, you're going to hear about it more on this podcast. I'm sure at the end of the year roundup, you'll hear about it. So, so we'll leave it there, but um, it's so go, great. Go now before like you're sick of us talking about it. Like just know that you've got in ahead of the curve and like, cause we're just going to, we're, we're going to keep going. <laughs> exactly. We love this movie. It, it also might even be funnier than the movie that we're supposed to talk about on this podcast today. I dare I say a movie that is uh, a quote unquote comedy. Um, you know, uh, th- it is going to be the meat of our show is the the new film. The first film post Key and Peele uh, show ending, uh, you know, and it is uh, their new movie, Keanu. So seriously, what's gonna happen now before we get on this job? It's time for us to all get to know each other a little bit better. We're gonna go in a circle, first of all, and everyone's gonna say their name and then two things about yourself. For instance, my name is Shark Tank, and uh, I ran hurdles in high school, and I like to hold my gun like this. So that's me. Um, Tectonic. I once shot two dudes with one bullet, and I went to an exclusive, early screening of the Blair Witch Project. You did? 
Yeah. I did not know that. See, before we even knew if it was real or not. So, uh, Keanu, Joe, um, it, it, title and at least the beginning of the plot of this movie uh, would lead many to believe that this is a spoof of perhaps the Keanu Reeves movie John Wick from a couple years ago. But uh, I actually, yeah. where did I read? I, I actually think that's not the case because they just happen right. to be making the movie at that it's time. similar time time frames. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, I, I guess I can see that. Um, where where do we start? With I know where do we start. Well, I mean, I'll start. It was a. I mean, I'm not saying I needed this to be like uh, an amazing movie, but I'll just start by saying this is a pretty disappointing experience. Yeah. Um, I think more than anything, I'm really hard on comedies uh as a reviewer i find the most fault in comedies and keanu like a lot of bad studio comedies do for me where it's just this combination of stupid and lazy where like really it comes down to like the scripting and like the ideas for it as a movie like why is this a movie you know and right it's it's interesting like the the pitch of the movie it it seemed like it's got that sort of blacklist uh that sort of that that script award ceremony they do it's not a ceremony it's just they announce all the like the blacklist scripts of the year mm-hmm. where it seems like most of them that get on the list are there like you know primarily because of merit but other ones are there because like they could never get made and there's like a high wire act of like well imagine if this movie gets made it all takes place from the perspective of michael jackson's monkey and stuff like that <laughs> and so like this movie like on the, on the sort of like uh on the, the as the popularity of key and peel was peaking i was like imagine a movie where like where jordan peel is trying to get his kitten back and it turns into an action movie and everything's crazy and these two guys it's a fish out of water story and and it's just sort of like oh it's a cute kitten movie mixed with the sort of subversive humor of key and peel oh that sounds crazy right mm-hmm. like of course it's good and like it doesn't seem to go past the superficiality of the pitch yeah. you know and so it's just like even like part part of the time, I felt like this movie was like pH balanced for me because I was just like, all right. Yeah. First of all, it's, it's about an adorable kitten. Like, if the movie is just a close up of the cat purring for an hour and a half, I would have sat there for the entire film because <laughs> this cat is phenomenal. <laughs> it's great, and like the movie really comes to life when the cat's on screen. The cat is not on screen that much of the movie, unfortunately. Mm. So it's just like, but other than that, there's like scenes where Will Forte, who plays a sort of uh, uh, Drexler type drug dealer with cornrows or, you know, James Franco and Spring Breakers type drug dealer. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. He's wearing a cross colors shirt and he's listening to young black teenagers who are made up of all white rappers. uh, (laughs) Listening to them, their song tap the bottle. And I was like, look, only I, in this, I'm the only person probably who knows what this song is. I own it on cassette. And, like, he's wearing a shirt that I probably used to wear. And this is a movie about a kitten. This is for me. Why am I not enjoying this? Why is the connective tissue of this movie not holding it together in a convincing enough way to make these, like, stretches in between the short bursts that work? Like, how come it's not holding together? You know? And it's like, comedy is so fucking tricky to pull off yeah and like that's why sketches like there there's there's a quality and a craftsmanship to sketches because they have to work in these short bursts and they have to like they have to it sort of speaks to our diminishing attention spans now like that sketches 
are like, you know, like they're, they're at a height of popularity with just like short videos of the internet. You know, there's like, like shorter form videos on adult swim. And it's just like, it's sort of, it's sort of a current urgent way to communicate ideas that sort of fall apart under closer scrutiny with a longer timeline. Right. Right. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And so that's, that's always the trick. I mean, that's even though there seems to be a, a crop of, you know, like new sketches and new ways to watch sketches on the internet. That's always been a concern with like movies moving from Saturday night live to, or sketches moving from Saturday night live to feature films. Like it's always been a problem. Mm-hmm. And like, does, does this have legs enough to, to exist in a 90 minute window? And it's just like Keanu kind of starts to lag almost immediately. The connective tissue you bring up, like that's the, that those are like the widest, the longest stretches of the movie are like the connective tissue scenes for me, where it's like trying to get you from one kind of movie to the next, because it sort of devolves into this. Like it wants to be like an action movie spoof, but it, all of those it jokes. Have the chops to pull oh, off. Oh God, yeah. Well, also, it doesn't have the chops. I'll agree there, but also, it's that it's tired. Like any of the jokes they're making about action movies that come off as if you're watching like an almost Zucker Brothers and Abrams like spoof of an action movie, it are just tired. They've existed for three decades. Like Key and Peele are better than that. You know, I, I just I think at least well, based off their show. Yeah, I mean they they may be they may be more interested in deeper ideas than that but like the zucker brothers if you watch those movies that takes an entirely different form of energy mm-hmm. it takes a lunacy that like is basically just an engine for jokes like that have to keep coming like almost every 30 seconds right right joke 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 joke, joke. and it's like if you're entering into like that realm of comedy it's exhausting but that's like it, it's got its own sort of like impressive energy to it and like it, this doesn't seem to want to do that. It also doesn't want to seem to establish itself in a realm of reality the way like a movie like Beverly Hills Cop did, you know, yeah, where yeah. Like, there was like a genuine sense of like consequence and there was like real people involved. And it's like not every movie is going to be that. Not everybody wants that. Not everybody wants like that type of comedy. But then it just exists in this weird limbo where like you're not sure what like what consequences are in this world, what the rules are, and it just ends up being like kind of wobbly like the entire time. Yeah. And only comforted and buoyed by when the cat shows up. Yeah, the only like stuff that stood out as in terms of like I've kind of never really seen that in a movie before were the brief moments where the action scenes were from the POV of the cat. Like they had to like steady cam shoot this cat running through all the, you know, the, yeah, the, the I bu- genuinely don't know how they got most of the that's, cat action sequences. Right. That's, and that's, that that's fantastic. Trained already. <laughs> right. And then they did it all with the action choreography. Like maybe they shot the cat and then just digitally added it. I'm sure there are lots of tricks that they used and cinematic cinematic tools that they use to make that happen. And that's where the brief moments where the movie comes to life and kind of earns. It's like, you know, it's cat video in an action movie sort of thing that it's doing, but it's so rare and it's so kind of fleeting. And, and there's so much other stuff stuffed into this movie. That's just like, like how many jokes about George Michael songs do you need to cram into a fucking 95 minute movie? It's just like, it's weird how, um, 
how few like great moments there are in this movie. Maybe it's not weird. It's it's like you said, comedy is really fucking hard to do. And um, I respect anybody that can make a really funny movie. And this is just proof, I guess, or just another example of like you can try to plug in a familiar personality. Like that's that's another issue I might have with this movie, or I do have right. is like who do you think it's like Jordan Peele and Keegan Michael Key are in this movie? Who do you think's the uptight one, and who do you think's the stoner? You know, it's like and that. Yeah. That's sort of like cursory, like that's just how they're defined in the beginning of the movie, like in a really like stupid, lazy way. Uh, and it doesn't none of that actually matters. So it's like, why did in a way it's like, why did Keen Peel have to be in this movie? It does feel like they were just plugged into something that the bones of something that could have essentially had anybody. And that's why I feel like they can do better. And hopefully, honestly, like my audience that I saw at a screening with um, the other night pre- was pretty like into it from what I could tell, like they were laughing pretty consistently while I was like, I think I laughed about three or four times, a good couple good chuckles. But yeah. I was like, yeah, I was like, wow, my audience seemed really into it. So if this movie grants them the opportunity to do something, maybe more, they can be more involved with or want to do. I, I feel like they must have something better that they want to do than this. Well, I know that, uh, I think, uh, Jordan is, possibly directing a horror movie oh, where oh. It's, it's sort of operating on the premise of like the the black guy always dies in the horror movie and so it's just like it's using that as an entry point into this like this sort of meta horror movie from what i understand uh in production get out oh yes oh. that's it get out yeah young african-american man visits yeah you're right yeah yeah, yeah. and he wrote and directed it sweet okay yeah so like i mean maybe this is like you know, just the, it's them kind of like broadening their scope and like just sort of getting more material out there. And it's like it. I, I mean, we may be hard on the movie. It's fine to a certain extent. Yeah, it's not. It's awful. just like it. It rinses right off. It rinsed off before I was done watching it. I yeah. feel like. Yeah. <laughs> and I, I just I because it felt sort of like fine tuned for some of my interests. I was like, why am I not liking this more? And it is just like that experience of like this sort of stuff you were talking about where it's like that stuff doesn't matter. You kind of get that sense that people are kind of saying that through the production. Like, you know, mm-hmm. like the the feel of the movie, the look of it, it looks like TV. You yeah. know, it's just like it's got the sort of like cheaply built sets. If they are sets, it's lit sort of like a TV show. And there's nothing really deeply cinematic about it. So that world doesn't feel important. It doesn't feel like it has urgency or consequence. Mm-hmm. So you're just like, ah, it doesn't matter. That's not what people are coming here for. Okay. All right. So what are we here for? Yeah. <laughs> uh, like all the characters are sort of like thin drafts of people who don't have much agency and are just sort of like uh, one punchline. Uh, well, that's not good enough. Uh, that's not what people are here for. So uh, who cares? Like, okay, so what the fuck are we here for then? Like, if none of this stuff is really holding together necessarily, and the tone is kind of inconsistent, then like, what are we here for? The kitten? Okay, then I'm on board. Because like, it's fucking adorable, and I couldn't get enough of that goddamn cat. <laughs> but of course, you know what? What is the the audience member who likes this movie? And there's nothing wrong with that. As we're saying, it's not terrible. But like the response, I feel like the the sort of the classic most annoying response that you'll get to your complaints and my complaints. It's just are, fun. Yeah, it's just fun. Turn your brain off, man. It doesn't matter. And it's like so. So the machine is is creating things that like come off as though nobody on the production really thought it mattered. And then the audience who likes it is just sort of 
eating that yes. up and shitting it back out. And the cycle continues of nothing matters. Yes. <laughs> yeah. And, and I think it's because people have uh, a sort of invested interest in key and peel in the right. sort of like type of humor that they do and their subversive commentary on like life and existing in this country. And, and so they, they, they have a personal stake in, in their voice and their vision. And so it's just like, well, if you're seeing that plugged into something that has a kind of like interesting, cute pitch with like it being a action movie and a kitten video, like that's a that's a cute pitch. Like I like it enough, but it's just like if it doesn't go beyond that, then who like who is the servicing basically? Yeah, you know, like well, hopefully it's servicing Key and Peele's career. Is like that's the only sort of optimistic outlook I'm getting from this. Is like it seems like the audience it'll do well enough that. They'll get to do something. I, I just and maybe it's naive, or I I'm not claiming to know how they feel or what they want, but I feel like they want to do better than this. Like they're capable of better. That's one yeah. thing I know. They're capable of better, and I think hopefully this is one a sort of one for them to make it one for 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 Key and Peele later on. That's and and maybe this horror movie could be because if he's if he got to write and direct it, that's super exciting and yeah. that that subversive angle of his idea of the horror movie like that's that's right in their wheelhouse but in a way that i feel like can be expanded into a movie length idea and not just um what keanu comes off as is like a series of a few decent sketches that have been grafted together by really really weak connective tissue so it's just this flabby like carcass of comedy not yeah not very funny comedy this is a crazy drug dealer named cheddar so? So what, what, what's so scary about Cheddar? Cheddar is a psychopath name. You only name yourself something adorable if you can back it up. I don't think that's a thing. That's a thing. If you meet a guy named Fluffy Pink Bunny Head, he will stab you in the eye. I'm sure that this Cheddar guy is going to be reasonable about money, and if need no. be, we will just buy Keanu no, back. No, no, don't. Not like that. Come on. What? Just this? Yeah, pop the collar. Uh... Okay? Okay. Yeah. That's what the kids are doing. Not really, but okay. I think we're going to sideline into some like discussion of like some sort of visionary stuff that's come up lately on, mm-hmm. on some like, adult swim. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, there, there's been this like series, uh, called the, I think it's the adult swim specials and they air at four in the morning. <laughs> and so like too many cooks by Casper Kelly was this one that like cropped up. I think it was two years ago. Right. Right. Where it was like, a a an unending uh, credit sequence for a fictional like eighties television show that eventually devolved into like, like hallucinatory insanity. And like it, I, I mean, just imagine not being prompted and just seeing that oh my at God. four in the morning. I mean, wh- why are you up at four in the morning? <laughs> Your own business. But like, you know, and then, then it became a sort of viral sensation. Mm-hmm. And now people are sort of like, privy to when stuff is coming out you know on the sort of at the sort of like 4 a.m infomercial window right and there are like there's these short films by alan resnick who's from i think it's baltimore he had a film called unedited footage of a bear where it starts off as just that where it's like this candid footage of a bear and it cuts to what seems like an internet pop-up ad <laughs> And then that ad like takes you into this weird world of a woman's like sanity basically unraveling. And it's just like it's got like worlds within worlds where it's like you can like look up the is it a decongestant? It's 
It's uh no, it's I think it's like an antidepressant. Okay, they, an antidepressant. Yeah. So like that company has an actual. It's just ad. basically like Easter eggs for you to explore on the internet. And I, th- like, I think what you're referring to is uh, if you watch it on YouTube and you see an ad normally on YouTube, the, you can see that box pop up that says "Stop Ad." They actually yeah, inserted. Yeah, they inserted that into this short film, so it seems legit, and it will click you. I tried last night. It will click you to to the actual site of, to, the, of the pill that they're fake selling yes yeah so here, here's the stuff that's like these weird worlds and like they they've they've got this like kind of this angle and this commentary on like this world we navigate and don't really see kind of sent up and narrated that well and so it's just this like work works of like short it's just short visionary works basically and like it's interesting to see these things and like i just feel like there's still this like end game of of, like people being legitimized through feature films. I don't know if either Casper Kelly or Alan Resnick have any interest in making feature films, but like that always seems like the legitimate payoff is like you get to make a movie like at the end of it all. Maybe at this point it's like you get a TV show, right? You get like a, a series or something like that. Maybe like the, the, the end goal of making a movie is sort of like fading for people because they're like, I lose money when I make movies. Like, oh no, is that the case? <laughs> but like, it, it's interesting looking at like these things that sort of work in the 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 sort of like the they're developed specifically to work in a certain frame in a frame like you're. You develop something to be experienced at 4 a.m. on the internet, and there's like there's a charge to that. There's like so there's some like otherness to it, this weirdness to it, and like how do you develop that into a longer form narrative? And does it like fall apart ultimately? Mm. And like that ultimately happened with you know Keanu, and it's just like it's it it's interesting seeing who are the people that can kind of that create these worlds that are truly unique, you know, the way I think like Alan Resnick, like taps into these like strange, like beneath the surface areas of everyday banality, Mm -hmm. you know? Mm Mm-hmm. Well, and he does um, so, and it does so without like resorting to the sort of nostalgia that I think it's sort of satirizing by making, you know, making a video like the Too Many Cooks. It's like it's sort of ripping apart that idea of nostalgia for shitty yeah. shows like it's that. Taking it to hell, basically. Yeah, yeah, it's so great. It's such a great touch because you know we're it's we're we're past this idea of eighties nostalgia. I mean, you and I have been saying like nineties nostalgia is it's already here. You know, if it isn't in yeah, full swing, it's already tired in its own way. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So um, I love that that there there's like ideas packed in there, and then there is that visceral quality of watching these these like hysterical but so funny. Yeah, these hysterical, um, hilarious nightmares like come to life and. Uh, it's sort of hard to, it, it, it really hearing you talk about them, it, it makes, and then in conjunction with Keanu, it just makes me think like maybe the, the, maybe there's a reason none of it matters or it seems like none of it matters on Keanu, right? Like the production, it comes off as though nobody really seemed to care too much to, to make it connective or anything. Maybe because ultimately people, more people will see Keanu 
on at home or on their TV screen. You know, yeah. they, they might see it two years from now if they're still like, oh, I wonder what Key and Peele have done for me. You know, it's it's going to exist longer in the sort of VOD streaming and potentially Blu-ray like markets much longer. So why make something that's really cinematic? Let's just let's get it in, get it out like quick, make our bucks at the theater and then it can just live on and it'll look like TV, you know, so who cares? And that's unfortunate because um, these short these these things you're talking about, the stuff on Adult Swim, you had also referenced off mic um, or sort of planning this episode. The is it one or a pair of directors called Daniels that? Yeah, they yeah, had a short film called Interesting Ball. So that, I loved that, by the way. Thank you for sharing <laughs> yeah. that with me. <laughs> it's just like it's these kind of weird vignettes that kind of crescendo into this just kind of really upsetting absurdity that's still beautiful and kind of hilariously poetic. And they had, they had done like music videos before that. Oh, some of them are great, man. Those videos. Yeah. The turn down for what video? Oh man. Uh, Is that the one where they're naked and they're getting shot with clothes by hunters or whatever? No, I can't remember who did that one. That was incredible. What video? It's like the little John song. Um, Oh yeah, that's great. (laughs) And they're crashing through the ceiling, like floor by floor. So it's these great, like kind of like, concepts that they they take and they like go into these just like they veer just like hilariously off course and they have a feature film that um yes. premiered to like acclaim and booze at uh sundance they have a film called swiss army man right that's uh got paul dano and daniel radcliffe they're both stranded on an island. One of them is dead and farting for the entire length of the movie. And like <laughs> every time this movie is trailered, it was picked up by A24, by the way. Oh, yeah. And uh, every time it's trailered, like, and I get a sense that the people in the theater haven't seen it, like seen the trailer yet. Right. People are laughing and simultaneously being like, what the fuck? Like they don't <laughs> understand. And like, I mean, we're, we're always after what we haven't seen before. And that's getting harder and harder to like Mm. pull off, especially with the internet and especially with like these weird rabbit holes people can go down with stuff like the adult swim material. So it's just like, how do you turn that into uh, like an entire feature length experience without it getting exhausting? Cause like with brevity, you have the advantage of just getting in and getting out fast and leaving people to ponder what any of the fast clipping things meant. And like with 90 minutes, you get a sense that you could overstay your welcome. You are lingering too long. You're getting people realizing like, eh, this doesn't work. And so like, I think I have, neither one of us have seen Swiss Army Man. I know that I'm more than excited to see it though. Me too. But like you get a sense from like the, the festival that people were just like, I don't know what to do with this. <laughs> and it's just like... Um, but that won't happen with Keanu. Like people are either going to sort of like it. And like you said, they'll, they'll forget about it. It'll rinse off really quickly. Or you'll just be like sort of bored and move on with it. Like either yeah, way, I, I think, think the end our, game is forgetting Keanu is what. Yeah. Going. I think our gripe is, is probably like a, a very specific one. Cause mm-hmm. it's just like, we both agree that it's fine. And like to us, that's the more frustrating thing Definitely. is that there isn't something that, it, that sort of like, is uh like kind of like exhilaratingly off about it or that is like alive in its own thrilling way like it's just sort of it's fine it's fine and i think that's like frustrating for us or i know that's something that i bang my head against all the time where it's like 
it's fine. That's it. What the fuck? Like you want to, you want to either love it or hate it, you know? (laughs) Right. And I mean, obviously we're, we're not opposed to the nuanced arguments or nuanced, you know, like feelings for movies. Like there's all that stuff in between loving and hating something, but like, uh, it's like the onus now is on if you're going to craft a film, a movie, an experience to be seen in the theater, you should craft it that way. And unfortunately, Keanu wasn't and that. That's fine, whatever. But I'm more excited and there's more potential to fail with something like Swiss Army Man. But like there's also more potential to like rise above and actually be something you remember when you see it. We'll find out when we get to see the movie and we'll talk about it. But I, I think when when you can find stuff like directed by this this group Daniels or um, the Alan Resnick, the people involved with the Adult Swim, any weird viral shit you can find on the internet that's actually it should you know if we haven't stressed it already that stuff is like really inventive visually and with audio like they're really crafting something in those short yeah. films. Daniels in particular, you could just see like in the music videos and, and the bouncing ball short like these are like they're they're like. They're like kind of reminding me of early Spike Jones stuff or Michelle Gondry, where you're just so inventive with these tools you have as a filmmaker and it looks bigger than it really is. And um, the onus becomes on a filmmaker like Key and Peele. That's why I say you're better than this and you got to do better than this. If you're going to put a movie that has your stamp of it's got the Key and Peele brand, you know, and they seem like they're going to be making stuff together for a while. And I'm yeah. I want that. Yeah, I want that. But that. They got to do better if it's going to be a movie. And I think that's going to matter more as as certain types of movies aren't really going to have much. They're going to have less opportunities, even though it's hard for tiny movies today. It's going to be even harder to find spots in theaters for your little movie to show. But even a little movie, if it's cinematic and belongs on a big screen, you know, Green Room is a little movie, but it belongs on the big screen. And yeah. we'll, we'll always argue for that um, more than the alternative. So, um, yeah, there's just so much good out there and we're just so inundated. Like, you've got to really rise above if you're granted the opportunity to make a theatrical comedy. So, uh, yeah, yeah, it's it, there is something interesting of, like about it that I I noticed in watching Kanunu last night was that <laughs> like there there's a kind of a climactic sequence and I just wonder, because I wonder if there was a lot more to this movie that oh, had to, like, there, there's a sequence in a Rockefeller pizza manufacturing company. So it's a, they're in a warehouse that seems to manufacture the animatronic animals from this chain pizza place. It's very specific. Like, people know those, like, singing Chuck E. Cheese type animatrons. And so they're in the background of this fucking scene and it's just like, was something supposed to happen with those that they cut out? Like, is there a bigger kind of like looser, crazier movie that got this got shaved into ultimately? And I it's think just so. like, yeah, yeah. Like, I mean, maybe maybe that didn't work either. And the, the economy of making it like 95 minutes or so was like that was more important than having this sort of like freewheeling crazy non sequitur experience like maybe i would have hated that even more but it's just like i at this point it's just like we we do want to see something we haven't seen before and like especially if you're taking a, a pitch like keanu was like let's just let's let's take it somewhere weird agreed <laughs> um the, you wanna, should we swing on eric took over <laughs> agreed true. i agree um, Moving on. Okay. <laughs> 
I have more reason to hate you than anyone. But I found myself daring to believe in you. What I want to know, brother, is will you stay with us and finish what you've started? I have a brother. I will make my stand with you, side by side, to the end. To the end. Hold up. Wait a minute. Now just wait. All right. So uh, on our last episode, we also, beyond talking about Green Room and praising that movie, we uh, teased out at the end uh, my pick for our next edition of Hold Up. And it's a special segment uh, here on Address Your Tracking where, you know, it's evolved over the years. We, it started, um, it started, you know, your idea, Joe, it started that we would kind of examine movies that meant a lot to us personally, um, but don't exactly have the best reputations uh, at large. Um, and we examine that. We, re- we look at the movie again now and uh, either the other host can be a counterpart to be like, here's why it's, here's why people think it sucks. Or they might join in on the the um the sort of abnormal or the anomalous love for this thing but um it's also evolved into like we just pick movies that uh we really like from our past people might also like them but we can also just see do they hold up so you know it's it's an evolving topic uh, an, an evolving segment but i did bring us back to the to the roots i'd say yeah. uh when <laughs> when i chose um uh, kevin reynolds uh 1991 directed uh, Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves, starring Kevin Costner, who, of course, worked with Kevin Reynolds in uh, a few features like Waterworld and um, an, uh, at least another one I can't think of right now. But, um, yeah, they, they had worked together. And, um, yeah, I brought us back because this is uh, this is a movie that I loved as a kid. I bought the DVD when I started uh, when I started collecting DVDs, Joe. It was uh-huh. it, I bought the I'm looking at it right now. Um it's the two disc special edition, the extended version. When that used to mean something uh, for hard media, and uh, boy, what a bad, what a bad DVD! I gotta tell you, I'm, uh, I tried to watch some of the special features, and it's embarrassing the stuff that they tried to include here, like the uh, making of documentary with Pierce Brosnan talking about <laughs> the origin of the actual Robin Hood. It has like really nothing to do with this movie, but they try to cut interviews. Is really weird. Um, yeah. And the added minutes, uh, just have more witch and Alan Rickman stuff by and large. Oh, that shit is hilarious though. Oh man. So yeah, let's start there. Um, this is a movie. Yeah. It has a bad reputation. Um, it was not really that well reviewed, um, made a lot of money and it was a big deal to me as a kid. I, you know, I saw it when it came out in 1991. So I would have been nine years old probably saw it with my dad and my brother. And this was just this movie really captured my imagination. And <clears throat> though I had watched it a few times after, you know, the DVD I'd had over the years, I still kind of like liked it. And I'd be like, why do people, you know, why do people shit on this movie? I don't get it. And um, this was the, this was the viewing that finally did. I, I think I'd had enough time away from this movie, Joe, that uh, coming back to it as I have the, just the other day watching it, it's, um, it's pretty evident that it's, it's, it's not a good movie. And, you talk about a movie that is lacking in connective tissue. Um, this one <clears throat> really sh- tries in a way that I think you could see and that I'd say a yeah. lot of the Marvel movies are guilty of. They sort of cursory, like, explain something, 
but you don't really feel it. And I think that's a big problem with this movie because there's a lot of plot developments that I never really feel, but the movie is sort of uh, giving you exposition or they're giving, they're giving it to you, but it's pretty like half formed. I feel. Yeah. I think um, what, what we talked about, like the, the last episode in sort of like discussing an overall feel of this movie was that like, as a kid, when I watched it, it didn't really strike me if something was like kind of not that good if it delivered on its promise. So this right. was like an adventure movie. If it hit all its sort of like action set pieces, I was mostly satiated as a unless it was like overly awful. Like I was I was mostly like placated. Like eh, it was fine, you know, as like a kid. Mm-hmm. And so now watching it and like seeing the action set pieces, which are fine. By today's standards, there's okay. a few good ones, man. There's a few good yeah, yeah. ones, especially the opening sequence, you mm-hmm. know. And um, but then like all the stuff that you're sort of maybe too distracted as a child to really like clue into, like you see how like weird and wonky some of the performances are. Mm-hmm. How you know, even though this is most likely an expensive uh, endeavor for Warner Brothers, I think that's who made it. Yep. Uh, there's something that looks strangely cheap about this movie mm. like the sets just the amount of like when robin hood's father is assassinated that like the amount of like the the small amount of like the army that attacks him like for, from an aerial shot i was like that's not that many people and it looks kind of chintzy like they're in weird like eyes wide shut <laughs> and like it just felt strangely cheap and like and so in that sense like as time goes on it's not being very kind to a movie that you could argue is mostly practical, like it's practical sets, practical effects, and most of that stuff has a tendency to hold up usually. Eh. Um, but like, uh, but this just like it was striking me that it was just like, oh, this doesn't this this doesn't feel like an authentic world, which is not helped at all by some of the performances, like Kevin Costner, like bless his heart. Like over time, like I used to love JFK and mm-hmm. now I watch this performance and I'm like, where the, where the fuck is his accent keep coming and going? Like, this is so confusing. And like, yeah, it was just like, it, there was something about the connective tissue between these action set pieces that like made it sort of like start to lag and like get, become boring and sort of laughable in sections. And at this point, like, Morgan Freeman was like, he was still, it was refreshing to see him every time, mm-hmm. you know, he, he was like not, he was beyond an up and coming actor. Like he was well known at that point. Yeah. Driving Miss drive- Daisy had already happened. Yeah. Glory, um, street smart where he plays a pimp nice. with Christopher Reeves. Um, but like now he's played that part so many heartbreaking times where he's like this sage like sidekick and like when he shows up in the fucking ben-hur reboot trailer you're just like is he getting sued by somebody like let him but stop it like stop doing this to morgan freeman this seems awful like he yeah if he doesn't have a choice but if he's not a narrator or he's always the sidekick i mean he won a fucking oscar for it with million dollar baby it was like the same role he'd been playing yeah yeah he was actually the voice of Waze for a while when uh london has fallen came out if you were driving someplace you could have turned his voice on and I have to tell you, it was very comforting to have him there during several exhausting Los Angeles drives. There you go. There you to have go. To keep left. God bless you, Morgan Freeman. Anyway, <laughs> I, I just feel like I felt bad for him 
because like he he always has like his heels dug into a part and he's like he's got an authenticity and a grit to him and just like a and just something heartfelt about him all the time that even when the work isn't holding up around him Mm -hmm. he he still manages to persevere Mm -hmm. you know i mean there's something to be said for his role in this movie and i'm curious what you think um is like it was less common. It's still not common enough these days, but, um, and maybe it's not enough. It's like faint praise that he's the sidekick in this movie, but like that was, that was sort of, um, that was kind of innovative for the Robin hood story to like, essentially make his sidekick, make his, (laughs) (laughs) make his sidekick, uh, instead of it being little John, the traditional, you know, like, his traditional sidekick in the Robin hood mythos. It's like here, it's this black, uh, this black character, Azim. And I thought that was kind of refreshing even That's to true. look at now, you know, like uh, we're still complaining that Marvel and these other properties, like, you know, some of them are giving, um, you know, characters of color opportunities or more characters of color. But like, that was, that was, I, I respect it even today still. And yeah, you know, and he he does what he can with a still a fairly you know it's a pretty underwritten part. He comes off as sort of a mystical black man, which is sort of problematic in its own right in studio Hollywood sure. filmmaking. But uh, yeah, there was something to be said for that. I thought yeah, there's there's a Bagger Vance element to it <laughs> a um, little bit. Yeah, that's troublesome. Yeah, but it's, it's the movie seems to be like tugging in different directions a lot of times too. Like I felt in the especially in the early section, mm. like it seemed like there was a harder R version of this movie that maybe was, was originally intended that they shaved back to be a PG 13 before that was like even a huge preoccupation, you know, like now it just seems like, Oh yeah, of course it's going to be PG 13. Are you crazy? Um, but back then there still could be R rated movies, but because it was like an adventure film that could be for families and children, like it seemed like there there was a lot of brutality in the movie that seems to be cut away from that was like maybe a part of the actual story and there seems to be a darkness that's at odds with some of the goofier segments in the film you know like the Definitely. the stuff with Alan Rickman as sheriff of Nottingham and the witch who's like you know prophesizing all this stuff like it's just goofy shit that you're just like what are these is this the same movie? Like right. this doesn't seem to like share the same tone and that that just like felt really like wobbly and inconsistent. It made me appreciate how how well I, you're going to scoff um but Game of Thrones <laughs> does what Robin Hood Prince of Thieves was trying to do so much better, you know, and they have more time, probably more money relatively these days. Um one's a TV show, one was a movie of course, but like they are trying to do this similar sort of like gritty beautiful aesthetic for a you know so a, for a like a fantasy story but uh-huh. uh it is odd to have this introduction of supernatural elements or quasi supernatural elements yeah. in this in this world i kind of give them it's another one where i'm like ah you know like e for effort you tried but like yeah it doesn't even in this extended version which tries to deepen the connection but it has more scenes with like i said the witch and alan rickman so it tries to like explain that a little bit more it doesn't help because tonally it is so much from a different movie and it's funny uh the things you're bringing up because you can go back and watch um you can find clips of the siskel and ebert review from their show in when this movie came out and 
I'm telling you, man, it was it was kind of it wasn't shocking, but it was it was kind of super interesting to to watch the review and their complaints. One of which is that Alan Rickman, the villain of this movie, come seems like he's from a whole nother a whole other movie entirely. You can, yeah. I, I realized as you and with that and their other complaints of this movie being too dark, they were they say how they're worried kids will see this and. You know, the a hero from like a magical sort of heroic story from our past has been given this gritty, dark, modern telling. You could you could take that review and just replace Robin Hood Prince of Thieves with Batman v Superman Dawn of Justice. And it's like it's a one to one complaint for what people are saying, what most critics said about that god awful movie, Batman and what we did, you know. We hated that movie. <laughs> but it's, it's like yeah. is isn't that depressing that like this this movie <laughs> in comparison is like leisurely. Oh, it's, it's absolutely. Like, there's so much less insistence it's about its energy. Yeah. <laughs> they're like, they're, I mean, there's, there's scenes, the connective tissue that we're talking about, like the scenes where, uh, Azim and Robin Hood or, um, uh, Robin of Loxley are, are sort of like talking to each other. There's like a Ren fair quality to their interactions where he's mm-hmm. like, is it about a woman? Tell me about the woman. And you're like, what the fuck is this? And like, yeah. there, there's something kind of cute about that at this point. It's like quaint. These like scenes that like are, are, are sort of like have this air to them and have this sort of like pace that feels so otherworldly in, in the scheme of like modern blockbuster action movies, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm that there's just there's there's a charm to them like i know that i've talked about this before where like i've gone to seeing revival screenings of movies that i didn't even like as a kid but all of a sudden in comparison with like what's out now it's like i see why that movie has merit and why it's got like a charm to it like you know uh like a jean-claude van damme movie i didn't care for at the time where i'm like that's it's pretty good now because at least it has subtlety you know what i mean (laughs) Not not what not what Kevin Costner would have wanted to hear about this movie <laughs> when it was, yeah. that it was less subtle than fucking a Van Damme movie. That's that's amazing. Um, yeah, no, I mean in comparison to contemporary movies, like oh, that. Yes, yes. I think Robin Hood is actually an example of is like there's something quaint and sort of like refreshingly kind of like un unurgent about it in a right. weird way. Right. You that's, know? that's a good point. Yeah. No, I hear what you're saying now. Yeah. I think it's I do think it's really interesting how like uh, as I was watching this movie, I was struck by and then especially that Siskel and Ebert review, which is really like I I just find it so fascinating how like cycles in movies just always happen. You know, like they they, kind of come and go. It's the trend. It's why there are trends that come and go. It's the same thing. And um, like their complaints about this, like the magic is gone from this Robin Hood mythology. And why does it have to be so dark? It really got me thinking about how Tim Burton's Batman in 1989 is what really created where we still are with um, maybe the problems we have or movies we like in this vein today. Like, you know, a lot of people say that there's Christopher Nolan's like gritty take and sort of quote unquote realistic version of Batman that he made in his trilogy is sort of to blame for these Superman movies that Zack Snyder's doing or other, other like familiar franchise trying to give you that version. I mean, hell Ridley Scott even made a prequel version of Robin hood with, with Russell right. Crowe that looked like a similar sort of thing. And uh, to Batman begins, it's like giving you the origin story. It's like these cycles continue, but really Tim Burton's Batman, I think the influence still continues. It really came from there. And I think that's why you got this version of a Robin hood 
1991. It was, it's a couple years later. It was Batman was so huge and really opened things up that they wanted, they, they thought there was an appetite an audience had for movies like this of darker versions of these long told stories. And I still can like those like there. It's not inherently a bad idea. The fun that this film could have been that I think it still is an example of a sort of like buoyant, you know, like a jubilant type of movie, like the, or the Indiana Jones movies, like the, that sense of adventure mixed with like a, enough of a dose of cynicism that it still is still as fun and winking at like where we're at now. Right. It seems to be a little further away from the Indiana Jones films but like it's still even in those sort of like first dark iterations it still is nowhere near how joyless it feels now you know what i mean like you, you can see tim burton's batman as like the maybe the the start of it but even that movie feels fucking whimsical in comparison to oh, the yeah. stuff oh yeah it's goofy <laughs> yeah it's goofy and there's like the and like not to mention we we lost someone else uh, last oh, week, uh, we lost man. Prince, who did some of the music for the original Batman. Yep. Like that, mu- that music's fucking weird. I put on the Bat Dance single, like from <laughs> from Batman. Yeah, that's just weird. And great, <laughs> and rest in peace, Prince. Oh, I don't know how we turned Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves, into a tribute to Prince, but like, <laughs> everything should turn into a tribute to him. The thing I found most fascinating revisiting this movie is, yeah, it was discussed in a way that not much changes. It's like as much as things change things stay the same yeah exactly and i i I find that interesting and hopefully lessons can be learned like like but then again robin hood and robin hood made a lot of money at the time you know and um yeah i I guess beyond that um yeah i i can't really defend this movie anymore not in good conscience like not as a not as a fully uh i'd like to think of myself as a you know fairly in uh, fairly intelligent uh, movie lover, and I just can't. Yeah, I can't in good conscience like negate so much of what's just like rushed, kind of weak filmmaking and bizarre, yeah. bizarre choices. There's some, there is some great action. I will vouch for some of the action. There's some great arrow POV shots that are cheesy but work for me. And sure, and I think some of the treehouse sets maybe look a little silly, but I like it because they went into the woods and they built it. And I think it looks good and um. I would have loved to have. It still captures my imagination in the sense that I would well, love to like live in those tree houses. Yeah, I, um, I feel the same way about uh, Temple of Doom, where like right, the, right. the the sequences where they're they're in the kind of like the mining cars. Yeah, it like that looks like a ride at a amusement park at this point. There's like nothing really that looks real about it, but it's an actual set, and there's a charm to it that is just like, oh, that's that's cool. Like so, even though they, it looks corny, both in like. The, the Robin Hood tree houses or in the mi- mining car chase sequence in Temple of Doom, there still is like an appeal to like that quality that seems to be missing nowadays, you know? I agree. So, yeah, not not a great revisit with Robin Hood, uh, Prince of Thieves, but, uh, you know, one that... Uh... But if you do, if you want to revisit it, it's on Netflix and, uh, you know, do proceed with caution. Proceed with caution. Well put, exactly. Why a spoon, cousin? Why not a... Because it's dull, you twit. It'll hurt more. 
All right. So with that, we're going to wrap up episode 129 of Adjust Your Tracking. Um, we uh, are now on uh, maybe a bit of uh, house uh, house cleaning is in order. Um, the playlist is actually moving away from the IndieWire blog network, and we're going to be at our own website now. It's going to be theplaylist.net, and I've already put some of uh, these older podcast episodes um, on that feed, and they're on that site now, and you will be getting all our episodes um, from Adjuster Tracking and all other podcasts from the Playlist Podcast Network will be on the playlist.net. So make sure to go there starting Monday. Um, so probably when this episode drops, by the time it drops on the site, uh, we will be on the new site. So that's big news. Very exciting. We're going we're going truly indie as a film set. We're going back to our roots at the playlist. So that's that's super exciting. And uh, we are also hoping to add more shows to the podcast network. So look forward to that. But um, you'll just keep getting... Uh, all these episodes of AYT if you go to the playlist podcast iTunes feed or if you find the playlist on SoundCloud and we're also on we've got a YouTube channel where all these shows can be found um, how can people contact us though Joe I don't know channel? that that's great um, yeah well you can uh, follow us on Twitter at adjust your track mm-hmm. um, did you say Facebook I did not Hey, Facebook, you know, <laughs> your mom's on there, but you know, that's okay. Tell her to like us too. Yeah. Find out when, uh, you know, episodes are coming out. There'll be a direct link every time they come out. Follow us. We're, we'll, you know, aggressively tell you about what movies we like and uh, urge you to go out and see them. This is true. You can email us at adjustyourtracking at gmail.com as well. That's, uh, I don't check that enough. I don't know how often you do, Joe, but uh, I, I don't check it enough, but I do check it from time to time, and we'd love to get any any you know any feedback, good or bad. Let us know what you think of the show, and um, rating, reviewing the Playlist Podcast iTunes feed could be really helpful for us to get more subscribers and have people find out about all these different shows that we're doing on that feed. So um, think of it as the Playlist Podcast like channel that you go to, and you can get all our shows. So that's definitely the place to be, and... Uh, we'll just keep chugging along here at AYT and doing our thing. And before we sign off properly, we got to thank our super producer, Drew Walner, who continues to work on our archive of all our old episodes. Um, some of you listeners, new listeners, probably don't know. Um, there's a reason we're on to episode 129. We've been doing this for like four years, Joe, haven't we? We've been doing this for a while. It's true. It's very true. We're, we're just... exactly (laughs) we're still chugging along and now that we're a part of the playlist we just you you, and if you're just discovering us you might want to find those old episodes we will have an archive soon with everything there from episode one all the way up to uh 129 which is this one so thank you drew drew our super producer for handling all that stuff behind the scenes and for keeping us alive on the tech angle um but uh, i can't do this show without you joe von oppen so i I gotta thank you first and foremost and uh thanks for coming on the show man thanks eric 